Well, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Uh, we have been going through the book of Genesis, if you've been with us, for almost two years now. And we concluded that study last Lord's Day. Uh, we will next be going through the book of Acts and starting that in a couple of weeks. But uh, today, I want to speak from Luke chapter 24, uh, primarily looking at verse 27. But we'll look at the context because it's here in Luke's gospel that we see after the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus then appearing to two of the disciples and teaching them about how all things in the Scripture point to Himself. And if you were with us through our study of Genesis, then you know one of the things we've looked at in Genesis is how you see the Gospel in Genesis and how, how Genesis points us to Jesus. And so as we conclude that study, I wanted to take some time this Lord's Day to talk about uh, how it is that what we looked at in Genesis and what we see in the Old Testament, how do those things point us to Christ so that we might better respond to the gospel and then to look at how then should the church be today. And that's what our study in the book of Acts will take us through. And so for today, uh, we're going to be in Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. As I've mentioned already, this is after the resurrection of Jesus. Two of his followers are on a journey. They're leaving Jerusalem. They're walking uh, to Emmaus. And Jesus comes to them. He, he it does not disclose to them who he is. He keeps them from knowing that it's him. And there's this conversation that takes place. And in it, we find some misunderstandings that they had. I think it points us towards some misunderstandings that we as the church today can have. And then we find our right understanding from Christ. And that's the understanding we need. So uh, if you are able to, out of reverence for the word of God, if you would stand as I read for us Luke 24 verses 13 through 35. And this is what the Lord's Word says to us. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking to each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus Himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing Him. And He said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still and they looked sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. 
So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Church, if you would pray with me. Father God, we ask in Christ's name that you would do for us today what you did for these two disciples many years ago. You opened up their eyes. You helped them to see and understand Jesus. You helped them to see how all things in the Scriptures point to Jesus. Would you do that for us today in the power of your Spirit? In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Some of you may know that uh, this week, Sandy and I celebrated uh, 19 years of marriage. And, and, and we did what many people do when they have anniversaries. We talked about uh, the last 19 years. We talked about the ups and downs and highs and lows. And uh, talked about how in those 19 years there's maybe been a few misunderstandings. Uh, mostly my fault. Uh, but one of them that's perhaps humorous to you, it's humorous to us, was a misunderstanding that took place not between us, but between me and Sandy's family. Uh, Before I asked her to to marry me, I wanted to do the the right thing and ask her father for his blessing on our marriage. Uh, I wasn't able to physically go see him, so I I called him on the phone one day. But her mom answered instead of him, and so she she kind of figured out what was going on, and and I asked if I could speak with Sandy's father, and she said, well, he's he's down the road. Sandy grew up on a farm, like many of you live on a farm. Uh, The family all lived there, so her grandparents were just down this gravel road, and so uh, I got the phone number, and I said, well, I'll call him there then. Well, there was a misunderstanding. She thought that I wanted him to, her to call him and get him back to the house, so as I called the grandparents' house, she had already called the grandparents' house, and he wasn't there anymore. He was on the way back home. So then I had a long conversation with her grandfather, who also figured out why I was calling. And that conversation took so long, her grandfather was quite a talker, uh, that in the time it took him to get home, and then I didn't call there, the mother realized I was going to call the grandparents' house, so then she sent him back down the road. But I'd already hung up the phone there, and I'd called back at the house again only to find out he still wasn't there. So eventually, I was able to talk to her father, grandfather, mother, and all kinds of other family members, I'm sure. And and everybody blessed it, so we were safe. There are times when we have miscommunications and misunderstandings, and and we're able to look back on them and, and just laugh about them a bit. And there's times when we misunderstand things, and there's nothing humorous about it at all. There's times when we when we misunderstand things, and... And it can have devastating results. And I believe one of those comes when we misunderstand the things of God, when we misunderstand the Scripture. Now, that is a very serious issue. In fact, Jesus shares a story to help us understand how serious that is. It's a story about a farmer who goes out to sow seed. 
And this farmer, when he sows the seed, it talks about how some of that seed falls by the roadside. And some of it falls other places, and some of it falls on fertile ground. And he says this, he says that that seed is the Word of God. And the, the soil, the response to it is us. And he says that the seed that falls by the roadside and that doesn't ever grow, what, what that is, is that's people who hear the Word of God, but they don't understand it. And he says, in fact, of those people, the enemy then comes and he snatches that Word away from them. But he says there's other seeds and he says that seed that falls on the fertile ground that 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 yields a crop and it produces fruit he said that's the one who not only hears the word of god but understands the word of god our goal when we come to god's word is not just to hear it it's not just to listen to it it's to understand it but sadly, what will happen today in this church and other churches, what will happen many times is some of you will, will hear and not understand. The Scripture says, though, there's a cure for that, and it's when the Spirit helps us to understand. It's when God opens up our eyes to see and our hearts to believe. And that's my prayer that would happen to us. And one of the things that's critical to that in understanding God's Word is, is understanding how it all fits together. See, sadly, so many times we view God's Word as kind of this, this disjointed book. And so you'll hear some people refer to the Old Testament as, oh, well, you know, God's just angry in the Old Testament, and, and I like God better in the New Testaments. Well, God's the same in the Old and New Testaments. And many people just see Jesus and the Gospel coming on the scene in Matthew, but we in the Scripture see Jesus coming on the scene in Genesis 1.1. He's there in the beginning. In Him and through Him, all things are created. And we see Jesus being spoken of in Genesis 3.15 when it speaks of the offspring, the, the Redeemer that would come. But if we're not careful, if we don't seek to understand, we can easily misunderstand and not see how these things fit together. So today as we walk through Luke 24, as we have now concluded our study of Genesis, as we prepare to look towards Acts, I just want us to consider some of the ways the Old Testament and our study in Genesis help us to understand better the things we read in the New Testament, specifically about Christ, His ministry, His gospel, His resurrection beginning with point one there in your notes, the Old Testament, we find, helps us to understand Jesus' life and ministry. Here we have these two disciples. The Scripture tells us uh, one of them is named Cleopas. That, that is a male name. It's the male version of Cleopatra. Uh, it doesn't tell us much about the other disciple. In fact, we don't even know if the other disciple is a man or a woman. And so some speculate this could have been Cleopas and his wife, both followers of Christ. This could have been Cleopas and another disciple, male disciple. But whatever the case, the two of them are followers of Jesus. And the two of them are walking now from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And when you consider the context of this, you understand a little bit about what's going on. They were like many who had followed Jesus. If you were with us when we studied Matthew, remember how many times we talked about how the disciples were looking to Jesus to, to be a national Messiah. For Him here and now, while He's alive, to raise up Israel, not to be uh, oppressed any longer by Rome, and for Him to now lead the kingdom here on earth. That, that's what they thought the Messiah would be. And so they're looking to Jesus to do that. And so then when Jesus goes and he's tried, they're thinking, well, he's going to be okay and maybe this is how it's going to happen. 
And then they're quite dismayed when they realize, wait, things aren't working out like we thought. You remember the conversations that took place between the disciples? Who was going to reign with him? What was this going to look like? They were ready here and now for him to be king. And yet he goes to the cross. And if you remember in the days leading up to that and when that event takes place, the disciples, they scatter, they're confused, they don't know what's going on, they don't understand. And then Jesus is placed in the tomb. And then you have disciples like these two, Cleopas and the other, who are now leaving Jerusalem. And the scripture actually says that they're sad. They're dismayed, they're disheartened. That things have not worked out like they thought they would. And then on this journey, someone joins them. That someone asks them what they're talking about. And, and we know from the text, this is Jesus. But we also know from the text, that supernaturally, God's able to, to not reveal that. To kind of keep that from them. To veil that from them. So they just see this as another sojourner, another traveler. And when he asks them what they're talking about, they seem a little confused. How could someone have been this close to Jerusalem in this area and not know what was going on? And so then they begin to share with Jesus, not knowing it's Jesus, about all these things that have taken place. And notice as they share them what they say. that They seem to be dismayed. They seem to be concerned because verse 21 tells us they had hoped that He was the one to redeem Israel. And not only that, but now it's the third day. Why is that important? Well, Jesus had taught about the third day. He had said on the third day He would rise. They don't understand it. That they've missed something there. And so now they're just confused and they're saddened because they wanted Jesus to be a king and a ruler here and now. They wanted Jesus to give them, the people of Israel, a better life than the one they had. And in that, they misunderstood the life and ministry of Jesus. And friends, we equally can misunderstand the life and ministry of Jesus today, especially if we don't consider it in light of what the Old Testament teaches us. See, many of us have grown up being taught things about Jesus that are simply boiled down to, to moral lessons and ethical truths. Jesus said, turn the other cheek, and so if you're going to be a good Christian, you need to turn the other cheek. Jesus said, be angry, but do not sin, and so if you're going to be a good Christian, be angry and do not sin. Jesus said, do this, so do this. Jesus said, don't do this, so don't do this. Jesus said, this story about this thing, and the application is this moral value. And if we're not careful, what we do is we take the ministry of Jesus, and we basically come up with a list of things that we think will then give us a better life and make us better people. And we miss entirely the point of the gospel. Jesus did not come that we might have a better life. Jesus came that we might have a new life. And there is a great difference between those two things. Jesus did not come to, to shine up Richard and make him look a little better. Jesus came to make Richard a new person, to remove my cold, dead heart, to give me a living, beating one. Jesus came as we celebrated in our early service in baptism that we might lay the old person down to death and a new person might rise out of there. But if we're not careful, we completely miss this and we miss what the Scripture teaches about this. 
And we find ourselves like these two men confused. That they thought Jesus would be the one to redeem Israel. So they're looking to Jesus to be the king of Israel. They're looking to Jesus to make their nation a better nation. If we're not careful, that's what we look to Jesus to do today. In fact, I probably hear more people speak about the need for us to have a Christian nation much more than I hear people talk about the need for us to go to the nations that they might become Christian. Is it bad to pray and ask God to do something in America? Absolutely not. But when we elevate that above the need to take the gospel to the nations, then we've misunderstood things. The disciples misunderstood things. We can misunderstand things too. And so here the disciples are sad and disheartened because they thought, hey, it's time for our nation to rise. And now their leader is dead. And not only is he dead, but now there's rumor that the tomb's empty and they're not able to connect the third day to the empty tomb. They're probably thinking, okay, on the third day, what's going to happen on the third day? Well, maybe everybody's going to revolt on the third day. I mean, they're, they're waiting for Israel to step up and to overthrow these Roman rulers. So they're probably doing what we see happening in our world today. That the leader dies, the leader's martyred, the people rise up and revolt after them. And so perhaps the disciples, they're there in Jerusalem and they're just waiting for it to happen and they're waiting for it to happen and nothing happens. And so now they're leaving, they're disheartened, they're dismayed, and they're confused and they've misunderstood And if we're not careful, friends, we can misunderstand as well. See, the Old Testament teaches us that Jesus isn't going to come, isn't forecasting the Old Testament to come to give people a better life. He's forecast to come to give them a new life. That's why in Genesis 3.15, you've got creation, the fall, and God in consequence of the fall, He gives both consequence and He gives a promise. He says an offspring's going to come that's going to crush the enemy, who's going to conquer sin and death. Well, Naturally, then, they would be looking for that offspring from Adam forward. But what they would find in man is failure. Adam disobeys. Adam's offspring are murderers. From there, it gets worse and worse to the point when you get to Noah, not too far after that, what happens? The entire earth is so corrupt that God says, I'm going to wipe it out. But He preserves a remnant in Noah. And some of us think, oh, Noah, well, Noah, I mean, Noah's a righteous man, and Noah, he did everything right. Well, then you see Noah's sin. He gets off the ark. (laughs) He gets intoxicated. He, He brings shame to himself and his family. And it goes on and on from there. Man gets to the point where they don't even want to worship the one true God anymore. And so they say, okay, we're going to build this tower, and it's going to reach the heavens, and this is going to celebrate our greatness. We'll worship God's we create God says, no, you won't, and he scatters them. And then you have these patriarchs of the faith. Abraham, was Abraham a man of faith? Absolutely. But did Abraham struggle? Absolutely. Isaac, Jacob, God gives a command, they disobey, God calls them to trust, they are faithless. And that is the story we see played over and over and over again. And so when we read Genesis, Genesis does not scream out, well, if we just try harder, we'll be okay. Genesis screams out, you can try as hard as you want and you and I are going to fail. There's got to be a better way. And that better way is the offspring that would come that would destroy the enemy and that's who Jesus is. 
but we can so misunderstand both his life and ministry, and as well, point two, we can misunderstand his crucifixion and resurrection, and that's what we see here in the disciples. See, the Old Testament helps us then to understand the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, but here too, again, these men are confused. It's the third day. There's no revolt, there's no rebellion. And on top of that, they've heard news that the tomb is empty and that that there's some angelic appearance and that somehow Jesus is alive, but they haven't seen him. They don't realize they have yet, at least. And and so they're confused. They don't understand the resurrection and they don't understand the crucifixion. And you just imagine this context. Here's Jesus, who, who, who from the beginning, he's always been. And Jesus, who there in creation, He's there. And there in the garden, He's there. And there is redemption as forecast through Him, He's there. And then, years go by. And we finally come to this point where He has suffered and He has gone to the cross and He has defeated sin and death and He's been resurrected and now new life is available for all and He's walking with these two who were followers of His who if anybody gets it, they should get it and they don't get it. They're sitting there going, oh well, we really thought He was going to restore Israel. And the tomb's empty. And they're sad. And Jesus looks at that and what does he say? Fools. Foolish ones. The the Greek word there is actually two words put together. The Greek word for without and the Greek word for mind. You don't have a mind. You can't comprehend. You're not thinking this through is essentially what Jesus says to them. And then notice what he does. The scripture says, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. What Jesus then does is he gives them an amazing sermon on the scripture from the beginning until now and how everything pointed to him. I would love to hear Jesus give that sermon. In fact, I was looking at this earlier and I was figuring, well, that's, you know, seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus and depending on how fast they were walking in the terrain, yeah, two or three hours, so... I don't think in two or three hours I could give that sermon. I don't think you want me to try to give that sermon in two or three hours. But what an amazing sermon it would have been to hear Jesus go through and say, okay, you you remember what you've been taught in Genesis? You remember what what Moses and the prophets taught? Let, Let me help you understand this in light of me. So what's that look like? Well, it looks like some of the things we looked at in Genesis. It looks like Jesus pointing them towards somebody like Joseph and saying, remember Joseph? The goal of learning about Joseph isn't that you might be more like Joseph. The goal of studying Joseph is that you might understand the gospel. Because Joseph is a type of Christ in the scripture who points us towards Jesus. He's one who's betrayed by his brothers. He's one who's wrongly accused, wrongly imprisoned, suffers greatly. But through his suffering, what happens? Through one man, a nation is saved. That's the gospel. Through one man, we are offered salvation. If it hadn't been for Joseph and the providence of God, Egypt wouldn't be on your map. Israel wouldn't be on your map. Because there'd be no Egyptians and there'd be no Israelites. It'd be called something else. Those nations are saved. God uses one man to do that. Pointing us towards one 
that would save us all, who would save more than Egypt and more than Israel, who would save all the nations, pointing us towards Jesus. But if we're not careful, we miss that. And then we, we boil the Scripture down to this list of moral lessons to these motivators in the faith, really just a bunch of bumper stickers and cliches. And so you think about something like David and Goliath. And you have probably heard sermons and you've probably heard Sunday school lessons and perhaps you've taught some of those that the point is basically this. Well, if you just have faith like David, if you just trust God enough, you can take those giants out in your life. There's nothing too big that faith can't conquer. That is a misapplication of David and Goliath. Because when you read David and Goliath in light of the gospel, here's what you see. One man standing in the place of a nation against the enemy and defeating that enemy that they might be saved. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is the point of David and Goliath. And that's the point of Joseph and Daniel in the lion's den and all these other lessons that we've grown up talking about. But we can so easily misunderstand and we can so easily miss it and not understand the crucifixion and the resurrection and our desperate need for the gospel of Jesus. See, if we're not careful, we, we, we look at the gospel simply as this, this act of love. Now, the scripture says that the cross was an act of love. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I share that verse when I share the gospel with people and I often ask this question, Based on what I've talked to him about, what the scripture says, I'll ask, so, so why did Jesus die? And oftentimes, the answer I'll get really won't speak much of sin or, or the need for, for death because of sin. Usually the answer is, well, because God really loved us. Now, now, Jesus did die because God loved us. And, and, and that's very true in the scripture, but there's more going on in the death of Jesus than sentiment from God. Now, think of it this way. I celebrated an anniversary this week. Many of you have celebrated anniversaries and different things with people you love. How do you show someone you love them? Now, it's one thing to say, I would die for a person. That's certainly love, but you don't show them your love necessarily by death. You show them your love by, by giving them something. So, so I, I showed my love, for example, to my wife for our anniversary by giving her a new toilet. In my defense, she wanted a new toilet. I've also bought other things. But, but I did that because in our context, in our situation, my wife, this is what she wanted. This is what she asked for. And in my love for her, this is what I gave her. I did not simply give her a card saying, I love you, sweetie. I would die for you. Have a good day. There's a new toilet. We show love in different ways, and it's not that we have to buy something, but we express our love differently. To just simply look at the gospel as a sentiment from God is to misunderstand the gospel. To simply look at the cross as, well, God loved us so much, Jesus died for us. That is a biblical truth. But if we don't understand why he died, we misunderstand the gospel. It's not just sentiment on the cross, it's substitution on the cross. Jesus died because someone had to. The scripture says all of us have sinned and the wages of sin is death. Therefore, someone's got to die on the cross. 
And either you and I will die for our sin and we will be under the wrath of God for eternity for our sin or one who knows no sin will take our place. And that is what Jesus did on the cross. Did He do it because He loved us? Absolutely. But it's not just sentiment, it's substitution. And we can so easily miss that. But my goodness, how much does the Old Testament speak of that? You see this sacrificial system over and over and over again. What is the point of it? This lamb, this animal is the substitute for your sin. Will the blood of that lamb appease the Father? No. And that's why they do it over and over and over and over and over again until one lamb is slain that does appease the Father, and that's Christ on the cross. And as we read His Word, all of it, it all points us in that direction. And so the question then is this, what are we to do with that? (laughs) If we start putting these pieces together, how then are we to live Well, I think we see an example here, and I'll leave you with this final point. The Old Testament then helps us to understand the purpose of Christ's church today. See, see our church here at Bloomfield, our, our, our church, the church of Christ, all of the churches of Christ, we have purpose, we have a goal, we have something the Scripture's pointing us to. And I think you see it in this passage. Notice what happens to these two disciples the scripture says that, that there they are at the table and Jesus blesses the, the food. And as he blesses it, all of a sudden, whoo, they can see it. That, that's Jesus. That this is Jesus. Now, now how God did this, if, it, if he made him look different or whatever it is, but, but what happens is suddenly they realize this is the living Christ. And then he's gone. <laughs> can you imagine that for a moment? And here they are over here telling Jesus about Jesus. <laughs> then they realize it's Jesus, and then Jesus is gone. I mean, they're, they're just perplexed. But notice what they say. Did not our hearts burn within us while He talked to us on the road, while He opened to us the Scriptures? See, suddenly there's this awareness. And Cleopas looks over to whether it's his wife or another disciple and simply says, Did your heart burn? My heart, did your heart? Something was going on there. And they're not just talking here about emotional experience. They're talking here about the living Christ opening up to them the word that they might rightly understand it. And and that should bring a burning in our heart. And that should bring all kinds of things in our lives. And one indication, I believe, of whether or not we, we truly are the seed that falls on fertile ground and grows and yields fruit and multiplies over and over again, one of the indications of that is that we actually get excited about the Word of God, that that light comes on at some point, that we see it, and we begin to see Jesus on every page of it. Because for some of us, we just read this thing, and we don't get anything out of it. That's not good. The, the fruit of the Christian life is that this begins to come alive. It is the living Word of God. It attests of itself, sharper than any two-edged sword. It is able not only to inspire, but to rebuke and encourage and admonish and teach and train. It is the living Word of God. And what we see happen to these disciples is that as Jesus goes back to the beginning, all the way back to Genesis, and starts opening it up and explaining it to them, they have this excitement and this burning in their heart. They're coming alive. That's what God's Word does for us. I remember the first time I heard God's Word taught in a way that I I experienced something like that. 
I grew up in and out of church. I didn't go on a consistent basis. But then when I went to college and someone explained the gospel to me and I responded, I got involved faithfully in a local church there in Raleigh, North Carolina. And I heard for the first time that I can remember a pastor who just opened up the word and exposited it. it he started in a book, first verse, first chapter, and he just walked all the way through that book of the Bible. And as he did, I remember thinking, how have I missed this? How have I never been taught this? This is amazing. God's plan is so clear. The gospel's all over this. My wife would get up and drive two hours, two and a half hours from home to get back there on Sunday morning so that she could hear God's word taught that way. I still listen online to sermons by that pastor and hear God's word just rightly taught and rightly exposited. And what happens when we begin to understand the Word, when we hear it taught that way, when we're able to study it that way, is there's this burning, the Scripture says, in our heart. Our life begins to change. And then that should yield fruit. Jesus says that seed that falls on fertile ground, not only does it grow, but it multiplies. And that should happen in our lives too, because notice what happens with these disciples. The Scripture tells us, that that very hour, as soon as they hear, as soon as they understand what Jesus had taught, as soon as Jesus then is gone, it says they rose that same hour, verse 33, and they returned to Jerusalem. And there they find the disciples gathered, and they're speaking about Christ rising. And what do they do? Verse 35, then they told what had happened. And they explained, I believe, to the disciples everything that Jesus had explained to them. And there's an important point there. The fruit of a changed heart should always be a witnessing tongue. These men's hearts, or this man and woman, their hearts were changed. They were burning. They were excited. And how did that result? What did it result in? They went and they gave a verbal witness about the things they had heard. And I believe, sadly... The reason so many of us struggle when it comes to this issue of witnessing and evangelism and telling other people about our faith is because we really don't have much of a faith to talk about. It's because we've never truly experienced a life change. It's because our hearts don't burn when we read the Word of God. And we don't have much to say. But for the life truly transformed by the gospel, the scripture says it multiplies and it witnesses. And then we go and we speak of the things of God. And if you and I have been radically changed by the gospel of Jesus, why would we not go tell the world about it? If you were born in this world in sin, and one day somehow someone proclaimed to you the truth of God's word, that you didn't have to live in that sin any longer, that Christ died on the cross in your place, and that you not only could repent and turn from sin, but Christ would give you a new life and you could walk in faith with Him, why would you not shout that from the rooftops? Because, one, perhaps that hasn't happened but two, for a lot of us, it has. But we haven't looked at God's Word enough to know what we're supposed to do or how we're supposed to do it. And we feel this burden to talk about Christ. And yet the shame because we don't talk of Him enough. And so how do we apply that? How do we do that? How do we as the church today take this message that we have heard and take it to a lost and dying world? 
For one, we need to understand that that's what God's called us to do through all creation. All the way back in Genesis, Genesis 12, what does he say to Abraham? Abraham, leave your country, leave your home, leave your people. Go to a place you've not been, and when you go there, this will happen. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Not just your family, Abraham, not just the Israelites, but I'm going to bless the nations. It's been the heartbeat of God from the beginning, and it's the heartbeat of God throughout the Scripture. And we need to understand that. And once we understand that, we need to apply that. Again, the question is, how do we apply that? Well, we apply it by studying God's Word and doing what it says. And so that's why we're going to start on this journey of walking through the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, so that we might look rightly. What is the church of Christ to look like? How is the church of Christ to respond to the risen Christ in hopes that we might rightly apply what God's Word calls us to do? And so my prayer would be that, that as we go through this study together, however long it might take, that God would use it to radically transform our church. That God would use this study in His Word that we might see lost people come to faith in Christ. I have done a lot of thinking on this and praying on this, and I, I am thankful for the work God's allowed me to be a part of and, and the work that He's done in this church long before I got here and work that I trust He'll do long after I'm in the grave one day. But I'm praying that God would do something more in the coming years. Because, friends, there are lost people all around us. As you leave this parking lot today, you'll see people drive by in cars. They're not coming from a church. They're lost so often. As you go where you're going to eat for lunch, you'll be surrounded by people in this community who maybe they heard the gospel, maybe they, maybe they remember this church. I met one at a game this week. Where do you go to church? Bloomfield Baptist. No, you don't. <laughs> I've never seen you. I didn't say it that way, but I thought it. <laughs> Tell me about the pastor there. Oh, he's a great guy. Yeah, okay. No. There are people who are so convinced that they're okay. And we're convinced they're okay. They're okay, we're okay, we're all okay. We're not all okay. This is eternal, friends. There's a real heaven, and there's a real hell, and there's a real Christ who went to the cross that we might live. And my prayer is that God would use our study of His Word to radically transform us. And not just us, but the fruit of that would be a verbal witness, a witnessing tongue, and that we would see people in this community radically changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if that scares you, if that doesn't interest you, go cut your grass on Sunday. Do something else. Have fun. But, but my prayer is that God would stir us all towards it and that he would use us for his glory here and throughout the nations. If you would, pray with me to that end. Father God, we do ask that you would do a work that only you can do. We can shout the gospel from the rooftops from here to Malaysia for the rest of our lives, but if you don't work through your spirit in men and women's lives and children's lives, there will be no fruit. But Lord, we know that your desire is that there be fruit. And Lord, we know from your word that you bring change in people's lives. And so God, I pray that we would see that in our community. Lord, I pray for every person here. I pray for those who perhaps after looking at this word, they still don't understand it and they've never understood it. And they've never really sat down and read the Bible in a way that stirred their heart. Lord, I pray that they might understand the truth of the gospel and respond to it. 
And Lord, I pray for those who have, but perhaps they're just tired from life and from different things that have happened and Lord from from suffering and just different issues and they're just they're just weary and when they hear someone speak of going and giving a witness they they're just tired Lord they don't have it in them Lord help them help me help us all to see we we, we don't have to do the work the spirit does and help us Lord to be available to be used by you and Lord I do pray for this community And I pray for those this Lord's Day who do not know Christ. And I pray, God, that that you might give them life in their lungs, that they might breathe and think and exist until we have the courage to speak the gospel to them. And Lord, I pray as we do that you and your spirit would bring them to faith. This has nothing to do with us. It's all to do with you. And so help us, Lord, to live for that reason and that cause for your glory. We pray for this in Christ's name. Amen. You would stand as we offer a time of response to God's word. And if God's leading you to respond in any way, we certainly invite you to come to confess Christ. We celebrated in a baptism earlier. Perhaps God's calling you to come be baptized. Maybe he's calling you to join this church family. Perhaps you just need to stop and pray. Maybe your heart's not real broken for lost people. That's probably true of a number of us. It's been true of me many times. Just take a moment. Ask God to break your heart. Ask Him to give you a call and a concern for lost people in our community. Ask Him if He would, in His goodness and grace, to use this word in our lives as we walk through the book of Acts to to radically transform us and our church for His glory. We invite you to respond however God leads.